0: Welcome to the Evident Church Podcast. It's our hope that through this message you'll gain a greater understanding of God's relationship with you and further your life's journey in faith. All right, open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17. That's where we are in this uh, little mini-series called Goliath Must Fall. And we're tackling our fears. Um, If you haven't had any kind of major obstacles in your life yet, uh, get ready, because uh, you will, uh, and many of you, most likely most of you, have had multiple um, obstacles coming your way, and we're talking about fear and how we face fear. So we're walking through First Samuel 17 in three parts. Last week was the first part where we learned that fear is not our friend, right? Fish are friends, not food. Fear is not your friend. Fear has a cost. If you allow yourself to live locked in fear, it will cost you something, but also, we looked last week that God is gracious, and he continues to feed us things that will give us faith, even in the midst of our fear. So now this week, we're going to look at the middle part of 1 Samuel 17, a little bit more to the David and Goliath story, and uh, we'll see what it has to say to us. So First First Samuel 17, if you have trouble finding it, it's right before 2 Samuel, and you should be good. You're welcome for that. Okay. We're going to read um, a good chunk of scripture. Um, It'll be on the screen for you as well. I love how God's word uh, speaks to us. So verse 25 says, Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man, talking about Goliath, keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and his family will be exempt from taxes. <laughs> that sound like, it sounds like he's kind of sweetening the pot there a little bit. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what, what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking to the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And who, with whom have you left your few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. This is classic sibling rivalry here. <laughs> really healthy dynamics going on between David and his older brother. Uh, now what have I done, said David. I can't, can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. The men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, who was the king, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not even old enough to go fight this Philistine. You're only a young man, as he was, uh, and he's been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, I love this part, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep, which is not a very you know, popular task. But he said, but when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth when it turned on me i seized it by its hair struck it and killed it your servant was has killed both the lion and the bear this uncircumcised philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living god the lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the philistine and Saul said to david go and the lord be with you god i pray that in these next few minutes you would make your word come alive to us and that you'd use it to speak to every situation. And Jesus, I pray that you would rise to the surface as the hero of this story so we can know that our hope is in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's the main idea for today. We're gonna get right to it. Is that I believe that God gives unordinary boldness to his kids by proving himself faithful over and over and over again. I think if we were to draw one main point from this passage, it's that David has this crazy boldness. My question is, where does that come from? He's just this little punk kid. Maybe that's where it comes from, I don't know. But David's got this boldness about him. I believe it's because we see that God proved himself faithful over and over and over again. He points to what? He points to the lion, and he points to the bear. He's got this tracker. It said, God delivered me from these things. He will deliver me also from Goliath. So I told you last week that every fall I've had, uh, that past couple of years, I've had the privilege of um, teaching a college class. and it's, it's an introduction to philosophy. So if you would please call me Professor Hosser from now on. I really appreciate that. No, okay, no. <laughs> it is kind of funny when they call me that. I'm like, who? oh yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, what do you need? Okay. But uh, one of the lectures that we go through is the difference between deductive and inductive reasoning. Uh, despite what you may believe, Sherlock Holmes does not use deductive reasoning primarily. He uses inductive reasoning. Here's the difference. Deductive reasoning provides proof and certainty based on the truth of the premises and the validity of the claims or the argument. I'll give you an example. First example is that Abraham Lincoln was a U.S. president. Is that a true premise? Yes, it is. It's not a trick question. Second one, the second premise is all U.S. presidents have been males. So far, the answer is yes, right? Therefore, conclusion, Abraham Lincoln was a male. Is that a sound argument? Premises are true. The argument is sound. Therefore, the conclusion is true. That's deductive reasoning. The second type of reasoning is inductive reasoning, Inductive reasoning provides probability of truth based on the quality and the quantity of the evidence generated in support of a conclusion. So what Sherlock Holmes does is he goes, I've got all these all these pieces that leads to this conclusion. That's more inductive reasoning. Let me give you an example of that. So the first line of numbers, the 2 and 4, it's hard to know what the next number is going to be without seeing the other lines. Does that make sense? What could the next numbers be? 2, 4, what? It could be eight. Could be doubling. What else could it be? Could be six. Could be adding two. What else could it be? Stretch you a little bit further. Math. It could be sixteen. They could be squaring the numbers. Right. Two times two equals four. Four times four equals. Then the next set two, four, six. What are the possibilities of the pattern? It could be eight. Could be adding two. What else could it be? It could be twelve. Could be adding all three numbers together right? It could be 10. It could be adding 4 and 6 together to get 10, right? So it's a little bit more certain, but it's still not quite very certain. Now look at the next line, all the way through from 2 to 26, adding 2 every single time. I'm not saying there aren't other possibilities, but we have a lot. We have a quantity of evidence, and we have a quality of evidence that leads to a strong conclusion. You guys tracking with me so far? Congratulations, class. You guys get an A for the day, all right? What this is, though, and what I think we see going on with David, is that David's going, I've got this body of evidence that leads me to the conclusion that my God is capable and my God is faithful. I believe as followers of Jesus, God has given us a body of evidence that leads to faith in him. My question for you is, what is your lion, what is your bear? What are some things that God has brought you through that you need to be reminded of that will give you boldness to trust him in this next season. So I want to share with you, I guess, three things that we see from David's life in this passage that I think lead to his ability to have this kind of faith. Here's the first thing, that David lived with a posture of preparation. If you look at the way that he fights the lion, the bear, and his circumstances, he doesn't view shepherding as a lowly position. In fact, already in David's life at this point, Samuel the prophet had already come and anointed David as the next king. David knew that that's where he was headed, but it would take him 40 years to get there. It would take him a long time to get to that point. But he didn't see what he was going through as a waste. He saw it as preparation for what was next. If David had hurried through shepherding, class 101, and not learned to defeat the lion and the bear, would he have been prepared to face Goliath? Probably not. So don't rush through what you're going through right now and show up unprepared for what God has next. You guys know that as you're you're getting older, when you're young, you just want to be at the next stage, right? It's like, I just want to be seven. When I'm seven, it'll be amazing. You're like, I just want to be a teenager. When I'm a teenager, it will be amazing. You just can't keep... At some point, you start reversing that, right? If I were just a little bit younger... (laughs) But don't do that with what God is doing in your life. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, view it as preparation that God is building something into you. David saw life as building one block upon another block. We believe that with God, there are no mistakes and no coincidences. That God never wastes anything. Uh, This summer, I was going through the Gospel of John. I came across a verse. You guys remember... When, John, when Jesus fed 5,000, yes, you guys were there. You remember that? Remember that? That was amazing. Uh, when Jesus fed 5,000, and when it was done, there was leftover baskets of bread. John 6, verse 12 says, When they had all eaten enough, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. And, oh, it's not on the screen. Uh, Gather the pieces that are left over. What does it say at the end? Let nothing be wasted. For some reason, that stood out to me because Jesus is saying, even in this a crazy miracle, I don't want to waste even the leftover pieces of bread. For me, I can translate that to my life and say, you know, what? God doesn't waste anything. There's not a single thing that you will go through or experience that is wasted. God is using that to help prepare you. I, I've heard this said before. I believe it to be true that God is a great teacher. Please listen to this statement. God is a great teacher. If you fail to pass the test, he will let you take it again. Think about that statement, right? God is such a good teacher. If you fail the test, if you fail to pass the test, he'll let you keep taking it and taking it and taking it until you finally pass. Have you ever noticed sometimes how your life seems cyclical? It seems like Groundhog's Day. It's like, man, we've been here before, haven't we? Maybe it's in parenting. Maybe it's in your marriage Maybe it's in your your desires for a career, whatever it is. It's like, wow, I've been here before. It's like you're on the the loop of doom. And that God is trying to teach you something. And until you learn what that is, you'll keep doing that same loop of doom. God is such a great teacher. He'll let you keep taking the test until you pass. So what is God trying to teach you? He let the people of Israel wander the desert for 40 years. Until they passed some of the tests, until they could go into what he had next for them. One of the books I've been reading is called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Halley Barton. She said one of the main reasons we, one of the main lessons we learn during this stage of the spiritual journey is that God is not in any particular hurry to get us to the promised land. He's in. He's much more concerned about the transforming work He's doing in us to prepare us for greater responsibilities of freedom living. Onlookers may observe. Our journey, and like Pharaoh, think that we're just wandering around aimlessly, but God knows what he's doing. He's concerned about strengthening our faith so that we are prepared for where there are real challenges to be faced. You may be thinking, man, this is a real challenge I'm facing right now, but we don't know the future. So God may be using what you're going through now to prepare you. It reminds me of Mr. Miyagi. I hate to keep going there. Wax on, wax off. I won't deal with the whole analogy, but that's what comes to my mind. I love it so much. wax on wax off when are you gonna teach me karate i have been okay never sorry we won't go there don't bait me like that okay number two number two number two david didn't get sidetracked with secondary battles if you look at the middle passage and the interesting conversation in verses uh 28 to 32 that david has with his brothers it's it's very subtle but David's brothers are trying to pick a fight with him, but David doesn't take the bait. Do you see that? He just keeps on moving because he knows he has bigger battles to face. What good would it do for David to start fighting his brothers right now, right? And I believe, though, that we get distracted and sidetracked with secondary battles all the time, right? That there are primary things, they're primary battles, but we get distracted with secondary battles. See, one of the ways that the enemy distracts us is to get us fighting each other. Those are secondary battles. It may seem like primary battles, right? But they're secondary battles. If we're followers of Jesus, recognize that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and powers, right? Does this make sense? Those are primary battles. These are secondary battles. If David starts fighting his brothers, nothing happens to to Goliath. The enemy wants to get us distracted fighting each other and not fighting him. If he can get us fighting each other and not fighting him, he wins. I'm going to ask for a quick volunteer. Steve, you mind coming up? Or Jake? I can pick on Jake. Come on, Jake. Come on, Jake. This will be a great fight. Come on, Jake. <laughs> Make sure we have a wide, wide angle on our, on our camera lens to get you on, on the, okay, wow, all right, why'd I do that? So I ha- we have to recognize, and Jake and I are brothers in Christ, we're both followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that we have a common enemy, and our enemy wants to get us fighting each other and wants to get us divided. Does this make sense? And so Jake may do something that offends me, and I could be like, oh, 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 I do not like Jake. Right? And I could just write Jake off. And I'm distracted by the fact that we have a common enemy who's trying to tear us apart. Jake is not my enemy. Thank goodness. <laughs> Jake is not my enemy. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take it a step further <laughs> uh, just because it's in my notes, okay? But your ex is not your enemy. You may not believe that, because in many ways they are, but they're not. You have a common enemy. Now, especially if, if whoever it is you're thinking about is a follower of Jesus, how, how true is that? That you're not, you're not each other's enemy, right? That by God's grace, you can forgive each other, and you can work it out, and you can have a relationship But we have an enemy who's trying to get us to fight each other, so we're not fighting him. Go ahead and have a seat, please. (laughs) Thank you. Give Jake a hand. (laughs) All right, so that's what I love about this story is David, for some reason, he's able to keep his eyes focused on what the primary battles are and what the secondary battles are. I want to challenge you not to get distracted with secondary battles. I hear a lot of people tell me, and this is very common, it's very easy to get sidetracked, but um, they say... um, you know, I don't have enough time to get it all done. And I can relate to that. I think my challenge and I, what I would, how I would say in re- reaction to that is you're right, you don't have time to get it all done. You weren't designed to do it all, you can't do everything. And I think those, we, we start fighting secondary battles and we've got to realize like, um, I've, I've got to stay focused on what matters most. I want to stay focused on what I'm going to answer to God for. Does this make sense? Families, especially your time is is like you're pulled. I get it. We've got three three kids, but we've got to start wrestling with what matters most, and not get distracted with secondary battles. I believe that it's focus that brings fruitfulness. So the third thing that we see from David's life then is that he never loses sight of who's really in control. I really really love this one. First Samuel seventeen verse forty seven. Kind of skipping ahead a little bit to next week, but David said, All those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is whose? The Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. One of the phrases I've been trying to say a lot more lately is the phrase, two words, very simple phrase, is the phrase God knows. God knows. God knows. It's like something will come up, a little bit of a curveball in my life, and I just want to say that phrase, God knows, right? This is not a surprise to God. God knows. This is going to sound like a silly example. Uh, one of the things I did on my sabbatical this summer was I went mountain biking, and I traveled up to Boyne Highlands, um, loved it up there. And I traveled all that way to go mountain biking, and as soon as I get there, it starts raining. And I'm like all sulking, like, oh, poor me, <laughs> I I understand. Like that's a hard life to live. Uh, but again, just a reassurance. You know what? God knows. God knows this is not a surprise to God, right? Now I've got time to do something else, or God has God. He has, God has a plan, right? God has a plan. And David, I think, has the right perspective. He understands that God's in control, and he uses that as fuel um, to give him courage for the fight. Uh, in, our, in our neighborhood, our subdivision, there's roads that lead to fields, farm fields, real, little, literally. It's like a subdivision, then you turn down a road, and it's a dead end, and there's a farm field right there. You guys know what that's about, right? That eventually, that's there because they think if the next sub is developed, that'll help tie into that subdivision. But it seems like a dead end, but somebody somewhere has a master plan, and there's, some, there's a plan that's in place for these dead ends. God has a plan God is in control, and David understands this. David understands that God has a plan for his life. And if he leads him to go against Goliath, that he has the strength because it's God's battle in the first place. I love the fact that right now David starts taking names and kicking butts. And I checked first service, they said, I can say that. So I believe that as followers of Jesus, we we go forward in the authority of Jesus and it's time for us to start taking names and kicking butts in Jesus' name. Now, not people, wrong enemy, wrong enemy. But but the devil, right? These lies, these fears, these the shame, all of that is taken care of in our Savior, Jesus. Um, one of my privileges as a pastor uh, that's been a part of pastor's families is I've inherited some really great books. I've got a library of books Um, that have have yellow pages and the bindings are falling out of them. And uh, one of the books that I have is uh, called Spurgeon's Sermon Notes. Charles Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers in the 1800s. He would preach to thousands of people without any amplification. He had that kind of booming voice. So I get to once in a while look up passages and see if I have any of Spurgeon's sermon notes on these passages. And first... 1 Samuel 17:47. he has a sermon written uh, that he wrote from that passage. I want to read to you some of the, uh, the excerpts from it. He says, There are always two ways of handling the same doctrine. The truth in the text may be used as a narcotic or as a stimulant. Some are so wicked as to say that if it's the Lord's battle, we're excused from fighting. We see how David used this truth. It fired his soul and it nerved his arm. To the Christian man, these words are so true that he may emblazon them on his banner. He goes on to say a couple of other really amazing things, like, we dare not fire the Lord's cannons with the, with the devil's powder. <laughs> like, he was tweeting before it was even a thing, you know? Uh, but he also said that also because of this truth, it's the Lord's battle, we also make light of opposition because who can stand against the Lord? And I just was convicted by that because I don't think that's my my faith stance oftentimes. I face opposition, and I'm like, oh no, he's coming after me. That's not at all what this is saying to us. It's saying we should have the same boldness as David. In some ways, we should laugh at the opposition. I know that's not where I'm at, but that's the truth, isn't it? Um, It's almost like I got this picture in my head this week. It's almost like, oh, look at him again coming at me with those little arrows that he has, those little flaming darts. That's not the strength of faith that I have, but that's the way that it should be. Would you agree with this? That we have the strength of God, that we should have that kind of faith, like, oh, well, here he comes again, but he's no match. The devil is no match for our God. He is no match for our God. Louis Giglio, in his book, um, Goliath Must Fall, says, whatever giant we're battling might be big, but he's not bigger than Jesus. Uh, I like the imagery. Uh, my girls, they love to wrestle, uh, and when they come at me, I just do the classic, like, dad arm stiff, like the Heisman, you know, almost. Uh, it's, it's, almost like, uh, it's almost like Wisconsin going after Michigan. I'm sorry. I just ha- I'm just i sorry. It's That's bad. I'm a Michigan fan. But it's almost like it's not even a match. It's like my kids come at me, I just hold the little stiff arm to the forehead and they're like swinging like, dad, right? That that's not how we feel in our faith, but with God, um, the devil is no match. I believe that Jesus is our victory. I believe that Jesus is our victory over sin. It's kind of a uh, right now, but not quite kind of victory. That Jesus is our victory over shame. He's our victory over doubt. Jesus is our victory. It doesn't matter the size of the problem. God's power and God's might are always bigger. It reminds me of like being at the county fair when uh, our kids are in those little cars that are on a track and they're, they're steering like crazy on that little wheel. Woo! Woo! Honking the horn, that most annoying sound that you could possibly hear. They're like, I'm doing it! I'm driving! And they're like, they're not in control at all, right? Like, that's kind of the picture that I have that God is the one that's really, really in control. That he's the one who's in charge of the battle. And I just want us, I guess, to be encouraged to stand on our feet again as followers of Jesus and be reminded whose battle it really is. Isaiah fifty-four seventeen says, No weapon forged against us will prevail. Whatever battle that you are facing you don't fight in your own strength. Amen, church? You fight in the name of the Lord, our God. Our enemy is a punk. He lies. He whispers shame. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that our God Yeah, he's holy. He's just. He is righteous. And we should respect and fear him. But he is loving and he is full of grace. And he welcomes the brokenhearted. If you're full of pride, beware. He welcomes the brokenhearted. He welcomes the humble. And he will fill you. He will encourage you. He will strengthen you. And he will be your God. He says, hold on. I want you guys to stand with me. Just want to review really quickly. God gives unordinary boldness to his kids by proving himself faithful over and over and over again. Number one, stay in a learning posture. God is shaping and molding you. Number two, don't get distracted by a secondary battle. Stay focused on the right things. Number three, remember whose battle it is ultimately and rest in him. I just want to encourage you, if you're here this morning, you are not a follower of Jesus. That is the most important decision that you will ever make. That you would decide to put your trust in Jesus. And I pray that you'll do that this morning. Let's pray together. And Father, I thank you that you know what everyone in this room is facing and thinking about. I thank you that you know the struggles of every person's heart. I thank you that you so uniquely and individually... Uh, speak to each one of us and I pray that you'll speak to us through uh, your servant David and you'll speak to us through uh, this worship in your name we pray, amen thanks for listening we hope that you found this message personally meaningful for more information on Evident Church be sure to visit us online at evidentchurch.com